So, well, good. Thank you for uh, coming today. And uh, once again, there's just seems like uh, so much to uh, cover and to think about. And we just have two more weeks after this one. So uh, we want to get busy. Um, thanks so much for investing time in God's word and God's people and uh, to know the, the Lord himself, which is certainly um, our goal. Let me pray for us. Uh, we'll turn things over to Josh to uh, help us um, kind of understand even the whole background or the uh, origin of how uh, kind of all these different kind of counseling um, operations came to be. So let me pray. Father, we uh, come before you and we are thrilled that um, that you are God, that we can be still and know today that you are God and that you are sovereign and in control. I thank you that you are all loving, all knowing and all powerful. Um, we can trust you and uh, very grateful for that today. Very grateful that you've given us your word. You're very grateful you've given us your Holy Spirit, your son, all we need for life and godliness um, through the knowledge of, of you and your word. And for that, we're um, just incredibly grateful. We're thankful, um, Father, today that you have given us these uh, insights and the truth and that the truth has set us free and uh, that you have given us this abundant life uh, where Satan came to kill and still and destroy, you've given us life and you've given to us more abundantly. So I'm cer certainly thankful um, today that we get a chance to feast on your word. And we pray that we would do so faithfully and that uh, we would interpret things accurately and that you would be glorified by the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. And uh, thanks for Josh and his insights and uh, just what you've taught him um, about this uh, vital topic and uh, his passion for it. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Need to uh, say one thing before we start. And this was Melody had a great amount of help on this. Uh, last week, we talked for a second about forgiveness being optional. Probably would have been better to say, I think. And, and Melody had some good insights on this from Jay Adams that... Um, the offer of forgiveness is is never optional, but kind of how this forgiveness works is a little tricky, and so we're gonna um, spend a, um, a little bit more time reading and thinking about that, and maybe not going over a whole lot more of it today. But uh, I think you would say I I think that was a little premature to say forgiveness is not optional, and probably would have been better said the offer of forgiveness. Is not optional or um, being bitter, you know, that there shouldn't be the writ of bitterness. That's not really an optional thing either, but uh, more to come on on that. But um, and maybe just two things, two things that have hit me uh, this week that and again, this might be oversimplifying things, but it just seems really important for all of us who need counsel. And that's continual, right? We all need to grow and we all want to be sanctified. Um, how did you put that last week that it's intense discipleship? That's right. Really, that's about where we're at. And certainly who of us doesn't need that? We all need that. And we want to do that to uh, four others. So it seems to me, big picture, two things are really huge. Number one, that we trust the sovereignty of God, that we trust his providential hand, and that every single event that he brings about is for our good and his glory. 
and that we just believe that. And that's not always going to look like we're going to have to live by faith and not by sight. That's not going to always look like the case, but that is the case. And we believe that he is tailor-made all of our trials, all of our good times, just to make us more like the Lord Jesus. So that's kind of a Romans 8 sort of idea, but I think it's throughout scripture. That seems huge. If we're going to counsel somebody, we have to help uh, them understand that. And if we're going to be counseled and comforted, we need to understand that too. Number two, what's our authority? Is our authority God's word alone? And, And again, that's what we want. We want to find out the truth. Um, we know that our heart's going to lie to us, right? Our heart's deceptive above all things. Who can understand it? We know Satan's a liar. He's called that five times in one verse. I think uh, John eight forty four. Jesus calls him a liar five. And so we also know the world is going to give us plenty of misinformation. So we've got to stand on the truth of God's word and believe that that's all we need for life and godliness, because that's all we really know is true. And uh, and if we can start with those two things, um, I think a lot of other dominoes fall um, along the wayside, would you say? I would say so. Yeah. Tell us what, uh, how did how did this all kind of start maybe yeah. a long time ago? So um, thank you guys for coming back and devoting some more time to this topic. I really think that the more we study, I'm hopeful that the class will just sort of be a launching point for you guys as you go and study further and continue your study of biblical counseling and the, the resources and the solutions that Scripture offers for hurting people because the, uh, the people we interact with on a daily basis, I think uh, the non-believer especially, their life is devoid of meaning and they're trying to find purpose for their life and and, and find answers to the big questions about who we are and why we do what we do and where we're going. So um, last week we talked a lot about what biblical counseling is and isn't, and, and we we said it's ministering God's Word, not just throwing Scripture at people and saying, go to church and you'll be a lot better, uh, your problems will be solved, although that's very important. Um, Paul, in Acts 20, uh, in the second half of the chapter, this is where he's addressing the Ephesian elders. If you want to turn there, we'll start in verse 17. He, there, there's so much packed in here, but I just want to comment on one thing here in Acts 20, verse 17. Paul says, or the writer says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you could say biblical counseling is this private ministry of God's word that Paul is doing here. How he lived with these people and he didn't shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable. And of course, we have recorded sermons, but we know Paul ministered the word of God in private. That is the substance of biblical counseling 
um, we could call it intensive discipleship or, or maybe problem-centered discipleship. Um, sometimes you get stuck in a problem and a temptation and a trial and you, you need some help from a trusted friend to get out. Um, so when, when we talk about counseling, we're really, we, we've tried to articulate really three main approaches. And you could say the first approach would be a secular approach, purely man's observation and wisdom. And then secondarily, you have uh, an integrative approach. So you've got man's wisdom and the psychologies combined with God's wisdom. And then what we've tried to articulate is a, a biblical counseling approach. We're resting on God's wisdom in Scripture to help us understand the issues of life. A- any thoughts on that? Well, I'm wondering when did the first one's been around forever, right? That's what's got us. Yeah. For six thousand years, right, right, and then the second one. When do you think that kind of snuck into play? I think maybe nineteenth century, late nineteenth century. I'll talk about Freud here in a minute, but he was definitely a major catalyst for, or maybe the secular approach. But they they gained a lot of traction in the churches and sort of infiltrated the seminaries. Um, but I don't know exactly on the time frame. Yeah, but uh, we, you know. Right now in, in 2024, of those three approaches, we, we could say safely that the first approach is the dominant approach right now. It's, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And then the Christian counseling approach would be like the, the mouse in the room, just a tiny offshoot. And then biblical counseling would be almost like the flea on the, on the you know, just a tiny space. But we believe that is, that is uh, what the Bible teaches, and we're committed to that. Um. We also don't believe that there can be a successful integration of, of man's wisdom and, and God's wisdom. A lot of times they're at odds uh, at, a, at a fundamental baseline le- level. So I want to talk just a little bit about uh, sort of a historical developments and how, how we kind of got here. I think it's helpful to understand history and, and, and how things evolved over time and you will see from the time of the early church that biblical counseling or speaking the truth in love to life's problems has been going on from, from the very beginning. It's been a practice uh, of, of saints counseling one another. We can see here in Colossians, uh, and this is just one scripture, Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is biblical counseling. And you could take all of the one another's in the New Testament. I think there's 35 of them. And you, you have a picture of how believers interact, counsel, instruct, bear one another's burdens, uh, love one another, seek peace and mutual building up of one another. We're, we're, we're in a body, uh, in, a, in a union, of course, many parts to this body, but the goal would be that we be built up in Christ. And so biblical counseling is is been around since the time of the, the early church, the New Testament. Can I then, throw one thing in there? Uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you no, there. No. I hope, uh, Papa, you've helped uh, us all in this, but I hope that you really enjoy that. I have two brothers uh, man, do I enjoy those guys. But having all you as brothers and sisters, to me, that's really fun. 
So I don't think we grit our teeth and say, oh, man, I've got to love one another again. But we get, you know, we get to, we don't have to. This is a great privilege. And what we'll be doing for all of eternity, uh, you know, we're sort of practicing now, I think. And so I hope that's fun to you. Yeah, I hope that's enjoyable to say, hey, what an opportunity to get to go. Mary Kate, I think of your opportunity with the golfers, you know, to get to go. What a privilege to be called by the Lord to go and to minister to people and to help people with their problems and whatever they have going on. So um, I, I hope that this just doesn't become, whether it be this study or ever, where it was be like, ah, oh, you know, one more miserable day living the Christian life. But instead to say this is really abundant and great. And what a privilege and opportunity we have and a calling we have to fulfill all these one another's 35 of them. That's right. Yeah. So if you fast forward, even through the medieval, the medieval times, but especially with the reformers and Puritans, this... Uh, emphasis on the care and cure of the soul was was rampant, and the Puritans developed in-depth counseling models that were truly built on the foundation of Scripture. And in these times, the pastors were considered the wise men, and, and many people from the community, believers and unbelievers, would go to the pastors for issues of the soul. And you know, even in our own country, the, the Harvards and Yales and Princeton and whole Ivy Leagues were founded to train pastors. And uh, theology was really the queen of the sciences, and um, Christian thinking on soul issues were really cu cutting edge, and um, I could say maybe even more so than it is now. But I just want to mention a couple Puritan resources. This is Thomas Brooks wrote this, um, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and he, he goes through a, a number of uh, temptations, discouragements, depressions, and how believers can fall into pride with a lot of uh, detail on, on, on things going on in the human heart. And it was Tim Keller that said he, he turned to this manual frequently to help confuse people who had fallen into an old temptation after years of freedom. And uh, he goes through eight different ways that we can be tempted or fall back into uh, a sin struggle and you know we we can be fortified against certain temptations that we face and then be blind to other ones and so there are many resources like this from the puritan era that uh went into great detail on the trials and struggles of people um any thoughts on that Very good uh, there was another, you guys probably are familiar with Richard Baxter. He wrote a two million word treatise on, it was split into four volumes, this massive work uh, on, dealing with controlling the time, the senses, the passions, our thoughts. He gave a lot of instruction for weak Christians, lazy Christians. Uh, he spoke on pride, sensuality, idolatry of approval, idolatry of power and influence, idolatry of possessions and materialism. And he treated everything that someone might face in the Christian life, uh, individual relationships, husband-wife relationships, employer and employee, parents and children. Uh, uh, he discussed a Christian's relationship with God uh, in their own personal Bible study, prayer, fellowship, the sacraments, um, questions on assurance of salvation and backsliding. 
And so there was a, there was a real robust uh, treatment, if you want to call it that, on um, issues of, of the soul. So it was far from simplistic and uh, very detailed. So with that, here's the, the, the major question. What changed? Because this would not really be how we might think of things today. I, I think for many, when an issue comes up in life, we might first think of the psychologist or the therapist to help us walk through these things. And so I think a, a major question is what, what happened? Where, where did the rich tradition of biblical counseling go? And uh, the, the counseling wisdom sort of went dry in subsequent decades. And uh, David Pallison said it was around the 19th century, American Christianity lost use of the truths and skills they formerly possessed. And the practical wisdom in the cure of souls waned, even in other areas that the conservative church retained its grasp on orthodox doctrine, biblical morals, spiritual disciplines, and the missionary calling. The ability to apply truth to specific cases atrophied, and the psychologies claim the turf of counseling, and the rest is history. We we live in a a psychologized world. Psychologized categories seem to dominate um, the way we frame problems. So, uh, really, in the early 19... Late 1800s, early 1900s, a name... Sigmund Freud, that I'm sure everybody has some familiarity with, uh, filled the gap. And he is widely regarded as the father of modern psychology, and we can see his footprints almost everywhere. Um, Just like we don't hear Charles Darwin's name per se, we're familiar with his ideas of naturalism and evolution. We we could say the same goes for, for Sigmund Freud. He really marked the start of an inward understanding of the self. And uh, terms like the unconscious or subconscious are very much Freudian ideas, dream interpretations, uh, many other similar ideas have a connection with him. And uh, just a, a couple of quotes here, this one from Sigmund Freud. He said, the word secular pastoral worker might well serve as a general formula for describing the function which the analyst, whether doctor or layman, has to re- perform his relationship to the public. And so Freud himself is saying that he was a secular pastoral worker and uh, filling the gap where the church was lacking. And we would say today that people still have the same problems of sin and misery that, that, that plague the soul, but um, the answers are, we would say they, their psychologies don't carry the freight. Um, a couple more here. Carl Jung, who was a disciple of Freud, said that patients force the psychotherapist into the role of a priest and expect and demand of him that he will free them from their distress. And that is why we psychotherapists must occupy ourselves with problems which, strictly speaking, belong to the theologians. So here we have another prominent uh, thinker aiming to sort of take the ground that we would say is uh, the, the territory of the Christian or, or biblical counselor. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a few other quotes, but there, we could say that biblical counseling, we're not trying to be nitpicky or go after the psychologies, but it's the psychologies that have encroached on what we would say is counseling turf. And there's a, they are a competitor in the quest for truth. And so I think we have to 
at least address that somewhat. And so uh, we're not trying to critique psychology so much per se, but, but critique the organized systems and solutions that psychology has put forth as the answers to the problems of the soul. Yeah, and next week you're going to help us like with the four pillars of biblical counseling. And there's a little bit of a, um, would you say we can kind of introduce that um, a little bit. If we think about some of the differences between biblical counseling and non-biblical counseling, are we ready to head, head into that? Absolutely. There is, number one, what's the foundational pro- problem, right? That's what we, you, you kind of got to start there. And as biblical counselors, we believe, and I'll put this in three, not completely new to you. We've talked about this even the first couple of weeks, but but great, almost in review or do be reminded, it's our indwelling sin. That's the root of the problem. Mark 7, 21 to 23, and we'll put this on the Zach Petty um, group me. For from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So it's from, it's not, that's why we're not looking inside our heart to find the answer. We're the problem, not the answer. And that's, uh, you know, maybe different than what um, sometimes the psychology think. Number two there, man is a rebel. You know, it's not that we're really just sick or that we have a disorder we're rebellious. We're more than dis, just dysfunctional. Romans 3, 10 to 12, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now, God rescues us out of there through when, he, when we're justified, right? But there's still that indwelling sin that uh, continues to... Um, to lurk in, in, you know, kind of a um, Genesis 4, 7 idea is that sin is still grouching at our door. Number three, the main problem here is our sin. Um, it's not poor mental health. It's not hard circumstances. It's not the way we grew up. But each person, James 1, 14 and 15, and Josh, I love your insights here um, on just that and I know you're getting to the anthropology next week, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Remember that word lured is kind of like a, a fishing lure comes by and the fish is just he's looking at it, and that's us. Are we lured? We're lured and enticed by our own desire. By what? By our own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So Josh, the main problem here, um, that might be a place to start. Can you comment on yeah. how other kind of counseling systems might I, see this? Yes. And I didn't. I hope I didn't bore anybody with the history. And I'd love to link some stuff on the group me just on where I got some of that if you want to look more into it and uh, hear it presented a little bit more engagingly. But yeah, what you're saying, Jerry, how we define a problem is integral to how we go about counseling. And it, it, like you said, it really starts with a biblical anthropology. What, what is a human being and what is at root our, our fundamental issue? What's our relationship with God? Are we 
uh, naturally good? Are we naturally evil? A lot of these early theorists would say that, uh, psychologists would say that man is born good. He's not born a rebel before God. And to really understand who we are, we have to know who God is and understand our relationship to him. You think about Isaiah 6, when Isaiah mm. went before the throne of God and saw who he was and saw who, who he was in light of who God is, he said, woe is me. And so we need to understand who God is to understand who we are and understand ourselves as, as image bearers and many other elements to a, a biblical anthropology. But it, it begins with knowing God, knowing ourselves, and what our problem is as rebels uh, as enemies of God. We're God-haters. We mm. trade the truth about God for a lie. We worship idols. We go after things that promote the self, self-glory, self-exaltation. We, we idolatrously use people to prop up our own self-image. You know, the, these are the core issues of what's wrong with us, not that uh, you know, we have a problem with our past, although the past influences us, we've sure. talked about, but right. it doesn't make us do certain things in the present. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're certainly not born good, you know, or born neutral, a, sort of a blank slate. You'll hear that in a lot of counseling theories that we're, man is born neutral. He's not born intrinsically uh, bad or as a, as a rebel to God. Yeah, that's it. I remember Dr. Lehman I don't remember much about Bible college, but I remember Dr. Lehman and Western Man saying, I don't know how many times what happened in the, I guess it was the 20th century or the 19th century. It was like, man is good and his progress is inevitable. And we know that neither of those is the case. We do not start uh, like that. And if we get that wrong, then we're probably going to get the answers wrong. Number, I guess, two or second, then what do we need to deal with the problem. There's a number of things we need to um, learn and repent from pre- from past and present sins, but, or and maybe, primarily focus on the hope that lies ahead. Do you remember we talked about Philippians 3? If we just get caught on what happened in the past, we can stay there a long, long time, but there's great hope ahead. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Josh, is it true that they, they can, in some time of counseling, we can just get caught up in the past and, and never get, never move ahead? I think it's true. And certainly don't want to fall into the ditch of just searching your past or trying to figure out what went wrong to make you the way you are. We would say that the the inner man, the the heart, is an active, volitional, interpreting heart. We're interpreting our past and trying to make sense of it, but I would say um, it doesn't dictate how, how we respond in the present or who we are or why we have to be a certain way. We're, new, we're a new creation in Christ. Yeah, it's huge. Wow, I love that. Number two, we need to live by the truth, God's word. That's where we get the truth, rather than feelings. Now, again, that just, I think to us, that's an obvious thing. But how much of the world is trying to say, live by your heart? Whatever we do, we do not want to go by what our heart says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Number three. Don't listen. Whose quote is this, Scott? You know this kind of stuff. 
Don't listen to yourself and instead preach to yourself. Did Spurgeon know who said that? Lord, there we go. And I think that's just huge. You know, finally, brothers, whatever is true, this is Philippians 4.8, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's a battle of the mind, how we're thinking, what are we thinking about? And, uh, and God's the one that through his word changes our thinking. Right there's a there's absolutely a a change of how we operate there and the way we think. Number four, give and receive direct biblical counsel rather than only talking through um, the problem. And so I think in in modern day counseling sometimes they're just we're not going to give advice. We're just going to talk through things, right? And and we would say well. That's not really what Scripture commands us. And, and this is one example. There's many. Philippians 4.15. Rather, and Josh mentioned this last week a couple times, I think. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Josh, your training at the Masters taught you to really give counsel, not just lay on the couch and talk about the problem. That's right. Yeah, we, it's um, and really that is from James one. We we're being doers of the word and not hearers only. Yeah, I don't think it does us much good. Let's just say weekly, you go to counseling and you rehash the same old life issues and then just kind of let it go. Don't think about it and then come back the next week and rehash the same old issues, same old problems from a new angle. We want to be growing and learning and being doers of the word. And so when I'm counseling, a, a lot of, or really before I start, we'll go over the homework process and counseling not being the magic hour of the week where it's designed to just sort of bring about a cathartic experience or, or a therapeutic experience for, for, you know, just talking through your problems and feeling better as a result it's uh, really kind of mapping out a game plan for the week, establishing mm. habits, routines, new ways of thinking, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, memorizing scripture, um, you know, serving others, all the things the New Testament would say, like with the one and others, putting together a plan to go and do that to, yeah. to create a, a total life change, you know, re, re, restructuring everything. So it's in that other 160 seven hours that's, that's right really important no i just that just makes sense i think number five we need to train ourselves um for godliness not primarily to just feel better or function better but godliness again is the answer i love first timothy 4 7 and 8 have nothing to do with irreverent silliness rather train yourselves to god to um train yourselves um for godliness. And and I love that word gym, uh, gymnazo, I guess. I don't know how to say it in the Greek, but exercise yourself is what it means. To train yourself, to exercise yourself. That's going to imply some discipline, some sacrifice, some hard work. That's not simple, but that's what we're commanded to do. So we're training ourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, I love this, and it just caught me this week. I'd never 
seeing it in here. Godliness is of value in every way. Godliness is in value in every way. So here again, we believe scripture and godliness and these things cover everything, everything that we need, once again, for life and godliness, as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Number six, the answer to the majority of our issues is becoming more like Jesus through sanctification. Again, we're not trying to make this, Josh, how do you respond if someone says, oh, wait, wait a second here, you're just trying to make things overly simplistic. That's not that you explained that last week a little. Could you chime in on that one again? Um, We're not just trying to put a quick pat answer and move on. Right. We believe that, there, that this is really the answer. We do absolutely believe this is the answer. Let, let me see if this is getting at what you're talking about. Like when you ask the question or when you're thinking through it personally or w- with somebody else that you know, if you say, how do people change? How do people change? What, what would be the first thing that would come to mind? And, you know, that question alone is a dividing line for many approaches. And we would say uh, the New Testament is full of what we call progressive sanctification mm-hmm. or steady, continual growth into the image of Christ. Let me just read this verse from 2 Corinthians. This might be a, a one-verse Summary of, of everything we've been talking about with biblical counseling. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this f- comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so in counseling, we want to get clear and wide views of Jesus Christ and his glory and paint the reality of who Christ is for people and help them to see clearly who he is in their trials and their sin struggles and in every area of life and um, how the Holy Spirit is for them, wanting them to, to grow and to be obedient to the scriptures. And this really brings a, 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 a symmetry, a peace and a harmony to life, even though the, the, the waves and the turbulence of life can, can rock the boat a little bit. Um, if we can just grasp Christ, I mean, that's what we, that's what we want to do for people. And that's what we want to do for ourselves. That's huge. And, and you know that God's promised that that's going to happen in the life of the believer. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But there's certainly part that we have in this. Mark just preached on this in chapel. It was so good. Chapter two of verse 12 in Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that makes it sound like it's on us, and certainly there's man's responsibility. Here's the great news of the Lord coming alongside, though. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we know that to be true. God is in the business of sanctifying his people, and we're thankful for that. Number seven, the heart must change for the change to be beneficial and lasting. So that's where it starts, Ephesians 2. You're pretty familiar with this, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so we may talk about in the next couple weeks the difference even between 
how you would go about counseling someone who's not a believer, which is a huge difference, like monumental, how you counsel someone that's a believer. Number eight, and this, Josh just talked about this. There's an emphasis on putting off and putting on from Colossians 3, a fantastic passage, just three to nine say, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's a big deal in biblical counseling, right? Put off and put on. You guys talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's recognizing our sin struggles, temptations, habits, the, the way that our indwelling sin uh, impacts us or is still trying to reassert its former control in our life. But we want to be continually repenting and putting off those practices, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, uh, see and understand who Christ is, how he's died and rescued, rescued us from sin, paid for our sin. He's the propitiation for our sin. You know, that's like the engine. That's, the, that's, mm-hmm. that's where the motivation comes from to do all this. We're not just trying to, like, you know, throw rules. We have to really grasp what the gospel is, uh, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then put on. How, how then are we to live? How then should we act? Uh, who are we to be as, as people who, who love our Savior? You know, yeah. that's, that would be the put on. Well, good. And then number nine, and I think this, yeah, all of us would admit this, that this has happened in our own life and in the people we love, where sin complicates lives. But the Bible clarifies and it simplifies. Um, and this is throughout Scripture, Psalm 19. Psalm 119 would be great places for that. Josh, any comments on that? We may come back to that. How does How is in one way... Uh, biblical counseling simplify where other kind of counseling can sometimes complicate things or sin complicates things. I don't know that I have a great answer for that, but maybe I can come back to it in a little bit. But for sure, we can say with Scripture, we need truth from outside of ourselves. There we go. Good. We need God's Word, what He has revealed, to know what's true. We don't need to go looking inside. You know, we hit on it earlier, but we don't need to go looking inside of ourselves to try and figure out what is true and look at our feelings for evaluating if something is good or not. We have uh, something we know to be true in the it's scriptures. objective and not subject. That's right. Yeah, that's good. So we know that the problem is sin, right? And the problem is, uh, is inside of us, not outside. What do we need to deal with the problem? We went over those nine things. And so then, and there's a lot more than that, but that's just a, uh, a little bit of a sampling. Okay, so to do this, what do we need to remember? Well, we need to remember that Scripture and the Holy Spirit and the church, and Josh, this is something learned from you, are used by God to give us all we need for life and godliness. Again, a great verse, but one that we can't forget here. Two verses, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us according to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious 
and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of the sinful desire. And then the Spirit, a couple great verses on there, again, very familiar, Romans 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit all 24 sevens interceding for us. Jesus in verse 34, chapter eight, verse 34 is interceding for us. And so we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Great things to um, go back to and rely on when we're being counseled, when we're giving counsel um, to others. And Josh, I really want to hear you comment on these three things, but one more. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then this is uh, one of the one another's. You remember in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is what we're to be about. Why are those three things? You know, you just think the Holy Spirit's perfect. We know God's word's perfect. The church, we're not perfect, but this is what God's called us. He's called us to, we're not going to perfectly do that, but that's, He's chosen to use us as his instruments in sanctification with each other at times. So uh, you say those three or psychology, that shouldn't be a hard, that's not a hard, uh, uh, that's an easy decision. I think it is. Yeah. It, I, it's, to me, it's so unique because you have, when we're talking with, with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we know we have issues, right? That's why we're Christians. And we, we, I don't think it surprises us when other, you know, when our brothers come and share things with us or, or, you know, I don't think we have to be saying, I don't want to say about that because the other person will judge me or think differently. We have the privilege to, to bear one another's burdens and come alongside one another because we understand our own Mm -hmm. sinfulness, at least in part. Mm -hmm. And we have the privilege to walk together alongside one another and point, point each other to Christ. And that, that's who it's all about. Yeah. My ninth graders right now are starting a feast on Romans 8. Hopefully that lasts till eternity, throughout eternity. But it uh, started last Monday. <laughs> well, I'm hopefully it started before that. But the idea that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is that not so rich? Because if there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then should we be willing to share our problems with each other? If God's not condemned us for those things, if he has put that, our sin, on the Lord Jesus, and that has now been washed away as far as the east is from the west, I should be able to go to Josh and say, Josh, I'm struggling. I need your help. And, and Josh then points me to scripture. God does surgery on my heart, begins to sanctify those things out of us. And uh, I think it's just so, it's so freeing. It's so freeing to know him 
um, and know that that's the way we can kind of help each other. Number two, then the counselor will only be as good as his own relationship with the Lord and his biblical knowledge and the integrity uh, toward the scriptures. I love 1 Timothy 4.16. It says, and this is good for all of us here, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will say both yourself and your hearers. And so there is some accountability as believers. If we're going to be helpful to others, we need to be deeply in the word, pray. And Josh, how does that, the importance of our own godliness as we're trying to counsel somebody? I, I think it's hugely important. We don't want to be hypocrites. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to be walking with the Lord and sharing things that the Lord is showing to us in Scripture. I, I think it's really important. Yeah, Romans fifteen fourteen. another verse on that. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So we ought to be able to instruct one another. And finally, um, the answer to the majority of our issues is becoming more like Jesus through sanctification. And we already saw that. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. These things are um, are what we believe um, are truly, truly what changes people. And that through sanctification, God will continue to weed that sin um, out of us. And next week, give us a preview of kind of what you're thinking. Next week, we'll hopefully go through a diagnostic tool for how to evaluate different counseling approaches. So uh, probably the modern um, dominant approach today would be something called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Um, So many different approaches. Many of them are competing with one another in the psychologies. Uh, But I think this tool will just be a, a simple, straightforward way by which to evaluate the, the counseling approaches out there. Good deal. So can I give also one recommendation on mm-hmm. a book here? This, uh, if, you're one, if you're sitting there and thinking, I hear what you guys are saying, but I'm just not quite all the way there. I, I ha- have a few more questions. I want to learn more before I you know, solidify my view. I just want to recommend this book called Counseling in Christianity, Five Approaches. And uh, this book takes the proponents from each approach, so an expert in the field of, of, of each one, there's five of them, and they let the expert kind of say in a few pages what their approach is like, and then they actually do a case study. And so there's a guy who, who's given the case study, he's got a lot of things going on in his life, things going on in his past, in his present um, all the all the terms that you would hear today: dysfunction, dysfunctional family, trauma, uh, all kinds of things going on. And then they let the proponents of each approach actually go through a plan for how they would do counseling. And when I read this, I was actually in my master's program trying to figure out what I actually thought. And this book was so helpful to me because I saw. Uh, a, how a biblical counselor would treat this case study, and it just jumped off the page at me. It was far more robust. It was much more in-depth. I, uh, I thought the 
treatment and solutions given the analysis of the problems were far deeper. It didn't just kind of stay on the surface and it was really good and kind of solidified my view. But you get to hear from actual experts on their position and I, I just strongly recommend it. Stuart Scott wrote the Biblical Counseling one and he's the only person who talked about repentance. And I think he had maybe 200-something references to Scripture. The others, uh, you know, tw 20 or less, some of them n no references to Scripture. So I I'd recommend that, and it would love to talk to you more if you have any questions. And even just reading about the guy in the case study will make you feel way better about your problems. When I read about him, I was like, oh, boy. It's like that, that guy's messed up. Yeah. So, I mean, you, would, you might read that and think, man, what in the world? How is a biblical counselor going to treat this? This is beyond what they're able to do. And then I was just blown away at the, the expert analysis uh, of, of how the scriptures were brought to bear. And so um, I recommend that one. Good deal. Can you pray for us? Sure. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for our great savior jesus and the the future hope that we have to be with him in all of glory lord we we know that this this world is filled with trials and sin and suffering and i pray that uh, we would look to you and look to the scriptures for answers help us to bear one another's burdens and uh, honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do and i ask this in jesus name amen Amen. We'll put that, uh, some of those scriptures that we went over today um, on the group meet. Also, Miss Elizabeth helped us uh, last year when we were here in Romans about a, um, some pages on indwelling sin. That also might be helpful. We'll try to put those on as well. And if you could put that book on the group meet. So thank you. See you next week, Lord willing.